The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the moment in our day when we seek stillness in God's presence, guidance from the Word of God, and grace to live by faith. This is the moment when we view horizontal living from the divine perspective. For the eyes of Jehovah run to and fro through the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Now here's today's message. We hope it will be a blessing. Go put a band-aid on it. Welcome to Beside Still Waters. This is our Put a Band-Aid on It segment. So think about what we're going to talk about today. A rather unique subject, and it is this. God is with me. God is with me. Now, that's a, a much... Uh, overused phrase that people associate with a variety of circumstances. Oftentimes, it uh, is said to us when someone is trying to encourage us to, uh, to, if you will, take heart as we're going through some difficulty or trial or uh, personal challenge. However, it is perhaps the greatest single most important truth that is woven throughout Scripture. And it is not meant to be just an arbitrary thought. It is intended by the Spirit of God to be a life-changing truth. We are often given word pictures concerning the nation of Israel and their journeys and experiences interacting with and seeing the works of Jehovah, the God who revealed himself to them, the God of their fathers. And one of the unique occurrences is when the nation came to the place called Kadesh Barnea, which was the border of the entrance into the land of Canaan, the land that was promised to their forefathers and now the generation that came out of Egypt were going to be the eyewitnesses of the fulfillment of one of the greatest events. And that is that God, the unseen, the immutable, the eternal, made himself visible in the form of uh, a cloud that rested on the, uh, the Mount Sinai that burned with fire, or evidenced himself and his presence by a pillar of cloud by day as they came out of Egypt and transformed into a pillar of fire by night, guiding their journeys to the land of promise, as well as uh, lighting their way through the deserts, which they had never passed through before. So God was revealing something of himself. So when they came to the the, uh, the, uh, 
the borders of the new land, Kadesh Barnea, spies were sent in to survey the land as well as the people and to bring back evidence of the um, agricultural richness of the land of Canaan. And when those spies came back, all but two gave a scathing report of the land which God's assessment was that it was a land flowing with milk and honey. Therefore, as a result of this, God was angry with uh, the nation. Why? He says it clearly in the 14th chapter of Numbers. He said, ten times you saw my glory. You saw my miracles. Ten times. So here was a nation that had as their unique experience the very evidencing of the eternal God as being a very present reality in their lives. And this reality was validated through works of wonders, miracles, power, to the extent, to the end goal of not only convincing the people that God was with them, but that this is a dynamic relationship such that the people can now have an altered perspective of their God because their God was not like the gods of Egypt made of stone or wood or metals. Gods that couldn't talk, that were lifeless, that were the, the byproducts of men's hands. This God was a living God, a person who not only was interactive but responsive, who not only used uh, the, the vastness of his power and ability for their benefit and blessing, but also was demonstrative of the fact that he has a heart that longs for their affection and worship. It would have been a mutually beneficial relationship. But when they came to this monumental milestone, their response was contrary to what the significance of the event demanded. And as a result, God was angry. Let's explore this further. The important truth that was missed and should have been embraced and apprehended, resulting in a heart, mind, and worldview change, is that God is in the midst. In the book of Exodus, at the very beginning, in about the third chapter, as Jehovah was speaking to Moses, one of the, the significant facts that he communicated was that he wanted to show not only the Egyptians and the nation of Israel, yea, the whole world, that God was in the midst of Egypt. And the rapid succession of the judgments and the extraordinary nature of them was so unique that everyone knew Israel and Egypt 
that this God, this Jehovah, is a living God. When we look at the book of Deuteronomy, we see, uh, if you will, a, 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 slight, a slightly different view of Jehovah, and that is he communicates with his people. He spoke to his people, and very often he spoke out of the cloud that covered the uh, Mount Sinai and the fire that burned in the midst of this cloud, he spoke to his people. Now, I know to those who may not be devotees of the Lord Jesus Christ, this might appear to be far-fetched, but I'm really speaking to you, the ones who share like passion for knowing this God. He spoke to his people. There was never a nation that can ever say that their national experience was that God spoke to them. Now, admittedly, it was a terrifying experience. And at one point, they asked Moses to please speak to Jehovah because we are terrified by the exhibition of his power, presence, holiness, his majesty and might. It was just overwhelming. But when we think of God being in the midst and uh, that presence being exhibited through the demonstration of miraculous wonders or that he communicated with his people by speaking of the elements and Moses being the only one that can go into his presence, but there was something that was really unique that made uh, the presence of God a very timely and personal national experience. And it is this. His presence was evidenced by a pillar of cloud that led them out of Egypt throughout their wanderings during the daytime and transformed itself to a pillar of fire by night to give light when they camped at night and to, at times, direct their journey when they traveled at night. So God was not only showing them the wonders of his works by virtue of the miracles in Egypt and those that they experienced along the way towards Canaan, but the fact that he is a, and I want to underscore this, a living God. He's alive. He's real. He can be known. And so he spoke to them. But most importantly, he demonstrated the dynamic of his presence, which is he led them. They saw the elemental presence of God by virtue of this pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He led them, and we are told uh, in Numbers that he never took away the evidence of his presence. He never removed it. Even when their behavior was untoward and oftentimes riddled with unbelief and a little bit of rebellion, he never took away his presence. And that is going to be a lesson for you and me a little later on in our conversation. When they were pursued by the Egyptians, by the Red Sea, and for them it, it spoke of immediate annihilation. But we are told in chapter 14 of Exodus that the cloud moved from in front of the people, guiding them, 
to the rear of the people, defending them. So what do we learn about God? That for Israel, he was concerned and is concerned for their welfare. Now, let's turn the corner a bit. In Psalm 78, we are given the uh, divine narrative of how God assessed their behavior. And we'll just extract two or three thoughts leading us to the most important event in our lives. The important event. Firstly, we are told uh, in about verse 7 of, of Psalm 78 that the whole purpose of God's works the evidence, the testimony that he gives about what he has done with men or nations in the past, even those in the immediate past, like the disciples and, and the early church fathers, if you will, right up to our time, is to stir us to set our hope and expectation in God. But sadly so, at about the 22nd verse, of the same 78 Psalm, the divine conclusion was the people disbelieved God and they never trusted in his deliverance. Now, in spite of all that had been done, everything that had been done, the obvious conclusion was that not only that God is a living God, but that he's actively at work in our national experience but we would not accept that message that he and he alone, that is Jehovah, the God of their fathers, is their deliverer. And then at about the 37th verse, we learned that one of the things that displeased God was that their hearts were not devoted to him. You see, there's an obvious conclusion that if we embrace it, and make it our single most objective in this life, it will be life-transforming. And it is this. God wants our pursuit of Him and our knowledge of Him to be fueled by devotion to Him to be fully aware and cognizant of one fact, that God is here with me. And their ignorance and forgetfulness of this single most important truth cost them dearly. We are told when they came to the borders of the, the land of promise, and then they did the ultimate insult. In fact, I want you to think about this. Imagine it's Christmas or some other uh, important cultural holiday where gifts are being given. And you spend an inordinate amount of money to give a gift to someone that you find endearing. You find them to be just, just an absolutely wonderful person. And you take the time to not only purchase an expensive gift, and I speak from experience, and you wrap it and you make it attractive, and then you present it to them, and their response clearly indicates 
that they're not only interested in your gift, but when they opened it, well, the value that you placed on it certainly was not the value that they placed on it. In fact, their assessment was of a diminished value. And as a result of that, you were insulted. I remember that was my experience once. It took a while to recoup from that. And so now they come to this land of promise, and God had been promising it to, to their forefathers through a miraculous means of revealing himself. I mean, really doing wondrous works that these men might be convinced in their hearts that they're going to live the nomadic life and trust in God and build altars and demonstrate by their conduct that they have set their hope and affection in this living God. And now these people came out of Egypt where there was a, a polytheistic worldview but the gods of the Egyptians were gods that they created with their hands and they fashioned them out of stone and metals and wood. But God's assessment was that they were not gods. They were just dumb idols. But he revealed himself as a living God, a dynamic, ever-present, able to deliver, able to protect, able to love them sort of God. And now he is brought into this land. They have surveyed the land through the, the eyes and feet of, and hands of the spies. They brought evidence of the richness of the agricultural worth of the land. And in the end, only two men of all the spies that went into the land gave an accurate and God-glorifying report. The others said the land drinks them up, meaning it was way too much for us to be able to, to assume ownership of this place. Number two... There were giants in the land, and in their eyes, that is the eyes of the spies, they said, we look like grasshoppers. And what they did is they turned the hearts of the people against the promises of God, and in spite of all of the evidence that God displayed of his works of power and presence and ability to deliver, they assigned a negative assessment and consequence to all that God had done. And by virtue of the fact that they insulted the living God, their catastrophic judgment was that everyone 20 years and older would never enter into the land, but their children, 19 years and younger, would be the generation that would cross over under the leadership of Joshua and Caleb, the two men who were the only ones of that generation that went into the land. Moses never made it, Aaron never made it, Miriam never made it, and all that generation 20 years, 20 years old and above never saw the land. What is the lesson for you and me? My friends, this is vital. They forgot that God was with them. They forgot that God, the living God, the eternal God, was with them. They were given sufficient proofs. And now, fast forward to 2021, where you and I, 
the devotees of the Lord Jesus Christ have received from the scriptures clear evidencing by the Holy Spirit of God that God is with us and there's going to be an obvious conclusion that we are going to and must face and make a decision. In Matthew 28, when our Lord Jesus was resurrected and he was about to be ascended and, and uh, um, take his place at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, he gave commission to uh, the, the uh, core disciples and he said one statement at the end of that commission. He says, I am with you to the end of the age. I am with you. The same assurance and promise that he gave to Israel, he now gives to those who have devoted their heart and affection and life for his pleasure, or so it ought to be. I am with you to the end of the age. Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth, and his two letters, or primarily the first letter, was written to address a few ills in the uh, life of the church, the believers that were gathered together uh, in the name of the Lord Jesus uh, there in Corinth. And one significant truth that he outlined or, or specified was this. In chapter 6 of the first letter, he presents the question uh, and assertion that your body, that is their bodies, that is our bodies, are the temples of the Holy Spirit. And that what you have is from God. You are not your own. So now, not only am I with you, as the Lord Jesus promised, to the end of the age, but you are of such value to me. I have assigned such importance to you, to your person, to your makeup, to how I've created you, that I've created you as if you will, the very dwelling place, the holy of holies, if you will, right here on earth, right where he placed you, your body, my body, the temple, the sacred dwelling place of the Spirit of God, the third of the Trinity. And he said, you have this from God. This privilege is a divinely assigned and granted graced privilege that God will take up his residence in your heart and life and make you your person, his personal place of dwelling, but it gets better. Paul, in addressing some other challenges in Galatia, wrote to the, the uh, Christians that were uh, um, uh, in that region uh, as he shared a bit of his personal testimony, and he said that I have been crucified with Christ. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. Christ lives in me. The Messiah, the Son of God, 
lives in me to the extent that his life is being made manifest in my mortal body, as in Paul's testimony. He says, I have been crucified. Christ lives in me. When a man took up the cross during the time that the Romans ruled with an iron fist, I might add, that when a man took up his cross and they paraded him through the city streets, everyone knew, including the one on whom the sentence of death is, that there is no return. He is not coming back. He knows how that story ends. It will end in his death. And what Paul was saying is, if I have embraced this same Christ who now lives in me, the purpose of God, the intent of God, is that what I am ceases to be prominent, but who lives in me is what is prominent, what is of great import. Leave us, truly. Here is where it leaves us. In this life, we are called to make one most important monumental decision made and embraced and by faith lived out will be the single most transformative truth permeating all aspects of our lives. And it is this, that God is with me and God lives in me in the person of the Spirit of God himself. And if that is true, my one objective in this life above all else is to live with open heart and mind to the living reality of the presence of God and to live with this awareness and to so embrace it in my heart and affections and objectives whatever it takes, that I would know the liberty and transforming power of the very presence of God in my life. We have been distracted by so many objectives. Although important, they are secondary to when a human being lives with the awareness that they have become the living container, for lack of a better word, of the Spirit of God. This is not meant to tickle our fancies, to, to just uh, give us a, a mental concept that we could simply ponder and find pleasure in. It is meant to transform our very living experience, as it was meant to transform the national life of the nation of Israel. And the one thing that was so vital, which they forgot, and if you were to read through the uh, Chronicles and, and, and the, uh, the uh, Kings in, in the Old Testament, you will find that those men, those leaders and people under their leadership who forgot the very presence of Jehovah in their midst, not only conducted themselves in a way that was beneath their calling, but it cost them 
immensely and negatively socially, domestically, nationally. But those kings who embraced that sacred truth and so governed their lives and governed the people from the standpoint of the fact that God is with us and that presence, that holy presence, demanded a, a new worldview, a new response. It ended up, it resulted in not only their personal blessing, but a national blessing and revival of love for God in their nation. Oh, my friend, we seek to quiet ourselves beside still waters. That being the, the catchphrase to say, let's get into the presence of God personally and to so learn to accustom ourselves to his presence that we find it to be a transforming life experience. I urge you, I appeal to you, make it your life's endeavor to live with the full awareness that God is with me and that my affections, my heart, my mind, my abilities, my strengths are garrisoned to live for his pleasure as well as we seek to quiet ourselves in his presence beside still waters. Thank you for joining Beside Still Waters podcast with Christian Javois. Beside Still Waters is the quiet moment in the stillness of God's presence to receive guidance, light, and grace to live by faith. I hope you've been helped and encouraged to press on living for the glory of God. It has been a pleasure and a privilege to connect with you on this podcast. To stay connected, please follow Christian Javois on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for tuning in, and we will see you on the next podcast of Beside Still Waters.